Today we are starting a new series that is going to lead us right up to Easter weekend. And I'm excited about the series because we're going to be kind of unpackaging a lot of things over the next several weeks. But I'm going to start you out today in John chapter 1. So if you've got a Bible, uh, you can follow along with me. This is Jesus um, and actually John the Baptist, which was his cousin, right? So John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples or followers. Um, John the Baptist had followers just like Jesus had followers. They had people that helped him in his ministry, just like Jesus did. And so here's John standing with two of his followers. Jesus walked by. When John saw him, he said, look, see God's lamb. One translation says, behold the lamb of God. In other words, he was trying to get his attention of the followers. Hey guys, there's Jesus and he is the lamb of God. Like he is the one we're doing all of this for. Now, This was before Jesus really got started in his earthly ministry. So he is just kind of warming up, if you will. He's getting amped up to go into this season of his life. And John knew what his life meant because John and Jesus were cousins. And so they kind of understood each other. They knew each other. So when Jesus walked by that day, John knew what was about to happen. He knew what his life stood for. And so when he said, fellas, check it out, the Lamb of God. The Bible says in verse 37, the two followers heard what John said, so they went after Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them coming after him and said, "Uh, what are you looking for, right? They said, teacher, where do you live? Which is kind of an odd question, is it not? It's like being a little nosy or something. It's like, hey, where do you live, right? Some people would even borderline on, you know, creeper, creeper kind of thing. It's like, why would you tell two complete strangers where you live, right? And I think some of us, you know, we, we kind of look at that and we, we give some kind of vague generalities. I live over in Locust Grove. You know, there's a lot of people who live in Locust Grove. You're not going to know where I find, you're not going to find out where I live, right? And I think that would have been specific. But Jesus didn't even give them an address. Look what he said. Jesus said in, in, in verse 39, come and see. Come and see. They went and they saw the place where Jesus was staying. The time was about four o'clock in the afternoon. They stayed with Jesus the rest of the day, which is the number one reason why none of us would show people where we live, right? It's like, I don't need you up in my house. I don't need you up in my business. Like, they got there at four and stayed the rest of the day, the Bible says. But I'm convinced how we live our lives and how Jesus lived his life are two different things. I think, by and large, our culture, our generation, we're a little bit more closed off. Jesus is more open. I think um, we're very protective of our time, of our schedule, of our family, of our personal space. Jesus was like, what are you doing right now? Like, like come on, let, let me show you. Let's go check it out together. Jesus, I believe, ministered a lot different than we do today. And as we read about the life of Jesus, I think Jesus had better results than we do today because of how he lived his life. I wonder what Jesus did 
that if we could do it, we would get better results as well. And so we want to look into this today. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that the entrance of your word brings light. It brings understanding. Father, show us things about the character and the nature of Jesus and show us how it applies to our everyday lives. Lord, we want to be challenged today. We're here to grow. We're here to learn more about you and learn more about ourselves as you see us. Lord, we thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, um, if you study the life and ministry of Jesus, how he ministered to people, or we would say pastored, how he pastored people, I think you would see about three things fall out of his ministry style. People who, who did life with Jesus felt a certain way. I'm not talking about just, you know, understood some things. They actually felt a certain way. People who did life with Jesus felt known, they felt loved, and they felt challenged. And I think if we're going to be effective in our day and age, people who we do life with, in fact, I would encourage you as I go through the context of what we're talking about today, not just to see yourself as, well, I don't feel that way, but yet feel as if the people around you feel known loved and challenged. The people who are your employees, do your employees feel known, loved, and challenged? The people that maybe you lead a team here at church, do the people who serve under you feel known, loved, and challenged? Your co-workers, your children, do your children not just assume, but feel known, loved and challenged. Because if we study the life of Jesus, everybody who followed Jesus around felt known, loved, and challenged. And I'm not saying, you know, we as a church have figured this out. Every single day we're trying to get better at this. We're trying to get better at this. But if you'll see yourself, like, am I creating an environment around me where everybody in my life feels known, loved, and challenged. Not just assume they do, but actually get in there and figure out if they do, then I believe we would live our lives differently than we do today. Let's, let's look at the first one. People want to feel known. They want to feel known. The disciples had an intimacy with Jesus. They were known by him. Jesus discipled his disciples, right? It was night and day hanging out with him. It was nights around the campfire. It was the walks from one town to the next town. What was he doing? He was having conversations with them. He was talking about life. Everything was a life lesson. If you can imagine doing life with Jesus, Jesus knew his disciples and his disciples knew him. Well, you only get that by clocking time with people. And there's a certain sense of vulnerability that's associated with that. You know what I mean by vulnerability? Like someone's got to open up. Someone's got to go first. Someone's got to create a safe place. I, I've, I've experienced this in doing men's life groups. And so I, I like to lead a men's freedom group. Right now, Tyra and I are leading a co-ed 
virtue group, but I've led men's life groups. And so I get these fellas in a room, and if you've been in my life group, this will, you'll, you'll be like, yep, he does that. But every time I launch a men's life group, I set the tone by saying this, fellas, we're just going to have to pretend like we're old college roommates here. Like, we're going to have to assume level 20, meaning this, like, conversation, you know, is here, but we need conversation to go down here because we've only got 13 weeks together. And so let's just pretend we're old college roommates, and if we need to pause and fill in the backstory, we can. But we need to create a level of vulnerability here because the only way we're going to help each other is if we, like, just open up and share. And fellas, a lot of time don't like to do that. They, they want to be protected a little bit. They want to, I don't know. I don't know if I can trust you. And so every time I start a life group, I'm like, give me five nights. Give me five nights, whether or not you determine that you're going to stick in this group, because on the fifth night, you'll, you'll start to see what God's doing inside of you. And typically by the fourth night, it happens. And here's, here's how you set it up. Vulnerability is a two-way road someone's got to go first. And so in my world, because I, you know, thank God, I'm a little bit more secure than I was when I was a wee lad, um, I go first, and I just back up the truck. I'm like, fellas, here's where I've struggled. Here's what I've done. Here's how God got me through it. No one's perfect. Can I have an amen, everyone? Amen. No one's perfect, including Pastor Darian. And so I, I share. I'm like, guys, this is, this is what I've struggled with. This is how the Lord's got me through it. And I set the bar of what's appropriate to say in this environment. And the same, every group, every group, I start with the fellas. I say the same thing. I say, listen, there's going to be some things said in this room that will not leave this room. And you need to have, you need to have some confidence about that. In fact, if I hear of one of you jokers <laughs> saying something outside of this room to any, anybody else, you're not invited back. And if you want in so bad that you're like, oh, man, I blew it, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said anything, um, then you will come back and you will apologize to every single gentleman in that group before we'll let you back in. Why? I'm trying to create vulnerability. I'm trying to create a space where dudes feel safe enough to deal with some of the crap. Can I say that in church? Some of the stuff that they've been, that they've been wrestling with. And the only way that that's going to happen is if they feel safe enough to kind of dig in and dig some of that stuff out and then to watch the presence of God flow in a life group and guys get set free of stuff that they've been dealing with for decades, there's nothing like it in the world. There's nothing like it in the world. Well, it takes some vulnerability. And so many times, we're more concerned about other people's perception of us. We won't be vulnerable. We won't open up. This should be the safest place that you live and exist. In fact, I remember hearing a story of a, a pastor at a church, different city, you won't know him, um, but, uh, you know, he was telling us a story. This is back when their church was smaller, and the church phone was his cell phone on his hip, right? So if you called their church, his cell phone rang. And uh, he, he tells a story. One day he, was, he got a call, and it was a lady, and she says, yes, um, excuse me, does your church offer counseling? 
And he was like, oh, well, we're not, we're not technically licensed counselors, but we do offer biblical advice. Um, what's going on? Well, I need to set up an appointment with you today. And he's like, well, do, um, do you attend our church? And she's like, no, I go to the church down the street. Okay, well, do they not offer counseling or biblical instruction? Oh, I can't tell those people what I'm going through. Right? Why not? This is a safe place. And the reason why is because in the past, come on, in the past, people have been judged. People have made to be to felt shame or guilt because they're actually going through something. And this should be the safest place where you can have a conversation about that stuff. Can I have an amen, someone? Amen. This, is, this is a safe place. Those life groups are a safe place. And if, if I find out someone's talking and, and spreading, spreading gossip, because really that's all that is, Dave Ramsey's definition of gossip is saying anything to anyone who does not have the power to do anything about it. Gossip. Are you with me, friends? I should just start on the floor second service. Sure would make that step a lot easier. Known, loved, and challenged. Jesus or in John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep know me. They know me. And they say, he says, I know my sheep. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. What is that? Vulnerability. That's exactly what that is. It's, it's being known. Von, we, have to set up, we have to set up parameters, and then we got to ask questions. Like, and I do this all the time. If you do life with me, I, I ask things like, hey, what's your dream? Hey, how did that scripture make you feel? Like, what, what's God doing on the inside of you? And it's creating this space where I can get to know people. The second area that Jesus modeled for us that people are looking for today to feel pastored to feel like they're a part of something, is this, this word loved. People want to feel loved. We are better together. People want to feel that better together thing. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the Bible says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Fellowship is just a fancy way of saying they hung out, right? They hung out. To the breaking of bread, which is eating, and to prayer, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Listen to this. All the believers were together. They all felt something. They were all in the same context. They all felt loved. They all felt like they were on mission. And again, people are like, well, pastor, I, and this is, this is the one that gets me. Pastor's in rare form today, okay? So just, just deal with me. I said something last service that I was like, scratch that from the, scratch it from the video. <laughs> but I meant it. <laughs> I meant it. I may say it this time. I'll see. But anyway, I hear this phrase all the time from, not all the time, uh, on occasion I'll hear, 
you know, people who, who went to, I went to that church. I didn't really feel like anybody that, I, didn't, I just didn't really find my place there. It was kind of cold. They didn't, didn't really reach out, didn't do anything. And so when I hear stuff like that, like my motto, we're going to be the friendliest church in Oklahoma for crying out loud. People are going to feel like they're a part of something if they come to your place church. And so I started asking around. I was like, did they, uh, did they serve anywhere? Well, no, they didn't really serve. Were they a part of a life group? Do, are they on our attendance? No, they didn't really get involved in our life groups thing. Did we reach out to them? Well, yeah, we actually, you know, we called them here. We direct messaged them on their social media here, and they just never got back with us. So <laughs> what they're saying is Pastor Darian didn't reach out to them. Pastor Darian didn't go out of his way to invite them to lunch. That place is just kind of cold. I don't really fit in there, right? When in reality, they just didn't get involved in the machine that is your place church. Like this thing is in motion, friends. And there is plenty to do and plenty to get involved in and plenty to get yourself submerged to where you can feel known, loved, and challenged. Can I have an amen, friends? Is this okay? Everyone was filled with awe at the signs and wonders performed by the apostles. Believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possession to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Amen. They were a part of the thing. They were a part of what, of what was going on. And that's how they felt known, loved, and challenged. Does this make sense? I had a youth pastor when I was 17, barely saved, and I was dating this cute, curly-headed girl, and uh, she, we, she took me to youth group. In fact, that's how I got saved. I'm, I'm probably the only case of missionary-style dating that worked. You know what missionary dating is? A saved person dates a, an unsaved person to get them saved, right? Like, well, I'll just get them saved. Rarely does that <laughs> Rarely does that work. I'm one of the only cases that I feel like it worked, and it was because I felt I feel like the Lord was just getting me ready for this role. Um, so I was dating this cute, curly-headed girl, and uh, I accepted Jesus Christ in my heart. I was going to youth service, and we'd just show up. Now, that we, were, we were a part of a big church in the metro, and uh, we just showed up. And I can remember, we just, like, he was, like, all of the pastoral staff, which there was a bunch of them, they had things to do during the day. And I'll never forget, I would show up and talk to the receptionist, hey, we're here to serve my, our, our youth pastor. And she would call back there, and he'd come out and just hang out with us. He'd take us to lunch. We, we knew where he lived, and we'd just show up unannounced, ring the doorbell. And he would hang out. He'd, he'd grill us a steak. A bunch of us would go after youth services to a pizza place just a, about a mile and a half down from our church. He'd show up. Like it wasn't an official sanctioned church event. It was just a bunch of teenagers that hung out at a pizza place. He'd show up. He'd get a booth. He'd hang out with us. And he was the very first person that started to identify a call of God in my life. And he started speaking that out. He said, I, I think you're wired for this. I think there's more inside of you than you, than you realize. I think there's something inside of there. And I don't even know if there was at the point. But him recognizing it began to give life to it. 
that man loved me, not in a weird way. To this day, I could call him, and he would answer the phone, and he would be here if I needed him. Loved. Amen, everyone? I felt loved. Praise God. Matthew 28, or 22, 39 says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. What would you want someone to do for you? Do that for someone else. Live that way for them. Amen. To be loved means at least for the moment, we're going to put our agenda aside and I'm going to walk you through this time. I'm going to walk you through that secret sin that you're dealing with and not judge you for it. I'm going to walk you through this little indiscretion you're having with your spouse. I'm going to set my agenda aside and I'm going to walk you through this thing going on with your kids. I'm going to walk you through you just being laid off from your job and thinking that for whatever reason God's against you. He's not against you. The devil is against you. And I'm going to help remind you of that. I'm going to help when you miss and I haven't seen you in a while. I'm going to come and I'm going to be like, what's going on? I just feel sorry for myself. I did this and I'm going to walk you through that. That's what it means to love when we set our agenda aside and walk people through some things. It's us making the decision that we're going to love people and help them. That's what it means to be or to feel loved. You know what it means to feel loved, don't you? Well, the third thing or the last thing that we see Jesus do that people I think need today is they want to feel challenged. And people are like, no, I'm good. I don't need to feel challenged. I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm good. You, you need to be challenged. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to be challenged. Now, don't say it with a tone, okay? You need to be, you need to be challenged. We all need to be challenged. We are who we are today because of influential voices in our life that have challenged us. What is the definition of challenge? It means encouraging someone beyond their current comfort level. That's what it means to challenge, to encourage, not demean, not obliterate, not guilt or shame, encourage, to uplift someone outside of their current comfort level. That's what it means to challenge. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12 says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Well, don't have that, but encourage one another daily. Not guilt, not shame, encourage. Encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You know what sin is? Sin is a liar. Sin deceives. Sin will try to convince you that what is wrong is right. I heard it said this way. Sin will take you further than you want to go, will keep you there longer than you want to stay, and will cost you more than you want to pay. And we've been there. We've all done it, including Pastor Darian, where we've made a decision that we knew was Sin. Let's just call it what it is. It was a sin. And we put ourselves there. And then at the time, we're like, well, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to whatever. And then, the, you know, the next day we wake up and we're like, what was I thinking? 
Why on earth did I even do that? And then the same devil that's trying to lie to you about it is, 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 is right there in your other ear going, you're a terrible Christian. You're pathetic. You shouldn't even stand in the presence of God, much less go back to that church. That's sin's deceitfulness. Well, according to this, we are to encourage one another daily so we don't fall into that. We need each other. We need to challenge each other. We've come to share Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. Jesus challenged the snot out of people. Some of the things Jesus said, uh, why don't you sell everything and follow me? <laughs> Pardon? Yeah, sell everything. Let's go. <laughs> Who's going to do that? I'll pray about that and get back to you, Jesus. I'm going to pray, well, to you, uh, about that. And then probably won't get back to you, right? That's a hard thing. Sell everything and follow me. Which would have been the right decision if Jesus said to do it. Amen. Right? Um, love your enemies. No. <laughs> Turn the other cheek only to rear back. You know what I mean? It's like... Jesus said some challenging things, but they were right. They were right. Every single one of them. We have to have permission. We have to give people permission to challenge us, which is why I love our college. There is a group of people on Thursday nights that's basically like, challenge me. Which, by the way, I'm teaching lab this week, so students, I'm coming for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm coming for you. But that's what it is. It's like, come on, stretch me, challenge me. I want to be a part. I want to grow. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better leader. I want to be a better person. I want my marriage to work. I want to figure out how to raise these kids. I need someone to get into my world and stretch me just a little bit. I give you permission to do it because at the end, I will like who I am because I've been challenged. Think about your life. There was a coach, there was a teacher, there was a parent, a grandparent, a friend. Someone had the audacity to get in your world and challenge you. That's what it means to be known, loved, and challenged. And here's the only way I can, I can basically describe what it means to be challenged. So I'm going to use a leadership principle that I teach to other churches. I've taught this to my staff several times. So this is the challenge versus capacity graph, right? On one axis, there's the challenge. On the other axis, it is capacity. And here's what we would prefer. You and I, this is what we would prefer, that our challenge matches our capacity, right? I've got the capacity. I've got about this much capacity, so it should be met with about this much challenge. And then we'll do that for a while, right? And then Next thing you know, our, our capacity increases so the challenge can increase. And we feel like it takes our capacity to increase before you ever, don't challenge me. Well, I don't have the capacity for that right now. 
When actually, John Maxwell's Law of Lid, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, talks about the Law of Lid. He says, listen, it's the challenge that actually stretches your capacity. But most of us want to live right here. And I call this the lane of comfortability. Is that a word? We'll make it up. The lane of comfortability. As long as the challenge meets my capacity, we're good. You're not going to ask me anything more than I can do, and I'm not going to give you anything else than I have the capacity to do. Friends, this will not grow you, and it will not grow you in any length of time, for sure. You know what my job is to do for every single one of us? In fact, your place, church, our goal, our focus is to put you right there. Just outside your lane of comfortability. I don't think I want you to do that. Then you'll stay the same way you've always been. Every one of us need to be stretched because here's what happens. If someone, a coach, a teacher, a pastor, a mentor in your life stretches you just outside of your lane of comfortability, you'll stretch your best to get there and then over time, you'll actually move right back into the lane of comfortability because your capacity has increased. And then we'll leave you there. We'll let you rest. We don't want to break you. Like, we'll let you, but then we're going to get an unction. We're going to get something else on the inside of us. And if I know you and I love you, it is my responsibility to once again put you just outside your lane of comfortability, to stretch you. I see the potential in you. Your department leaders, your life group leaders, they see the potential in you. People, voices of influence, they see that they want to stretch you just outside your lane of comfortability again because in another, I don't know, six, eight weeks, two months, six months, you'll move right back over into your lane of comfortability. That is our job. That is what we do. And you have to be good for it. People who are high challenge but low capacity get bored in life. They get bored. People who are high capacity, low challenge, like, now those are the ones that get bored. High challenge, low capacity. Those people get frustrated. They get frustrated. Like, I got, like, challenge me, challenge me, challenge me, challenge me, right? But there's no challenge. They're like, I'm bored. I'll go find someone else. Or I'll go find some other mission or vision to get plugged into. Which is why your place, church, is always doing something. This train is in motion. Amen, everyone? And we want to stretch our best. And I had a, I had a friend, still having. Um, <laughs> he, he was, uh, when he was in high school, he was his high school's hero in baseball. You know what I'm talking about? The all-star, the athlete, right? Walk through the hall. What's up, my people? Going to take state this year, Right? And everybody loved him because he was, he was the all-star of his high school. And he was, he was walking around. He was, you know, kissing the ladies, hugging the babies. No. Kissing the babies, hugging the ladies. That's right. That's right. That's better. He, I mean, that's what he did. He was, he was just that guy. Well, he graduated high school, 
got accepted at a college, and he's trying out for the college baseball team. He's going to be a baseball player at college. And he walked in that first day of tryouts. They had a really cool gymnasium where the field was up top, and they had the the training and weight room underneath the, the field. And he walked in, basically God's gift to this college, right? He's like, your hero has arrived, right? Because that's who he was in high school, and he quickly realized that everybody else there was the hero of their high school. And first day of tryouts, you're kind of sizing everybody up, right? Well, at high school, you know, coach whoever showed up in a sweatpants and a grubby t-shirt. Here, the entire coaching staff showed up wearing the same like attire with the college label, the college hat, clipboards, stopwatches. They walked in, listen up. I want all of you guys to grab a 45-pound plate out of the weight room and meet us up on the field right now. Go. And then they left. So all these college, you know, now former high school athletes, potential (laughs) college superstars, went and grabbed a 45-pound plate. They walked upstairs, and they went to the, on, the, on the floor, the field up there. And the coaching staffs all, they wrapped around. It was a round field. They had a wall in the bleachers. Coaching staff is all the way around the field. Head coach walks out and says, I want every one of you make a line back to the wall facing us in a circle. They did it. They're holding this plate, have no idea what the plate's for. Head coach says, I want you to assume the wall squat position holding that plate out in front of you. Don't drop it. You know what a wall squat is? Up against the wall. My thighs are already burning. (laughs) Holding a 45 pound, we call them train tires when I used to work out. Um, We call them train tires, right? Holding it out in front of them. He says, man, it wasn't 15 seconds and you heard, poof. As these high school athletes, now in the collegiate realm, started dropping dropping weights. And the coach would say, you're done, go back to the weight room. You're done, go back to the weight room. And so he says, about a minute, minute 15 seconds, every one of them had dropped the plate. And as you dropped the plate, you basically felt like you were cut from the team. And they, dropped, they, they had to meet back in the weight room. After the last guy dropped his plate, the entire college staff comes in and calls every one of them individually by name. Grab your plate, go back out there, one at a time. And if they didn't come back, they were cut. So my buddy Kyle, he's sitting here and he's watching the whole thing go down. Then his name gets called. Jackson, grab your plate. Go up to the field. There's a coach standing there with a a stopwatch. Do a wall squat. Don't drop that plate for at least two minutes. Have you done a wall squat? Two minutes is a really long time. He said, go. And he got in the wall squat and he's holding the plate out. The coach this time is reading the timeout. 45 seconds, don't drop the plate. One minute, don't drop the plate. You better not drop that plate, Jackson. Minute and a half, 
minute 45. He's already gone past his first time. He gets to two minutes and he drops that plate, right? His legs are on fire. He's shaking. He drops the plate. He says, good job. And he turns around and he holds the stopwatch in front of him. He'd gone two minutes and 20 seconds. It was inside of him the whole time. There 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 is stuff inside of you there. You just need someone to pull it out of you. You have gifting. You have gold. You have strength. There is stuff on the inside of you that if you'll allow us, if you'll allow the presence of God, He will stretch your best. But you've got to step into it. Jesus said, come and see. Come and do life with me. We are getting ready to, as a church, to step into a season that I need all of us to stretch our best. And God is going to stretch us all just outside of our lane of comfortability. You've heard me talking about this resource center. We've made the decision to do it. Even if we don't have a building, we're doing it. And it's going to require coaches. It's going to require people. It's going to require some volunteers. But here's the thing. This this thing called Your Place Church must go on. So I need you to go out to that rendezvous after this service and just do a lap. Ask questions. Join a team. I need you to give to this thing. Listen, my wife and I, we give to this thing. I'm not asking you to do something that we don't do. I need you to get... There are people who attend your place church and the only thing they do is sit. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I'm going to feel bad after I say it. Do you want me to say it? Yep. This next season of our church will make or break some of you. What do you mean by that? I mean, this time next year, some of you will no longer worship at your place church because this thing is moving and you're not going to like the way it feels. And so you're going to quit. Well, how can you say that? You don't know what I'm going to do. Guys, I've been doing this a long time. And when you are a part of an organization that is doing something and you don't want to do anything, it weeds you out. It weeds you out. Just like healthy environments weed out unhealthy people, environments that are on mission weed out people who don't want to do anything. And there's a group of people who don't want, just let me sit, just let me be myself, just let me do my thing. 
I won't say that. Moving right along. A rubber band is only at capacity when it's stretched. Otherwise, it's useless. Amen, friends? So, next week, I'm going to unpack how we see the Resource Center evolving. And if you want to hear about it, be in the room next week because I'm going to have a couple of people who have joined us. They're going to be on stage with me, and we're going to completely unpack how we're going to function as a, as a resource to Mays County. And then we're going to do something together as a church. Amen, everyone. Amen. If one claps, we all clap. Amen. Amen. Praise God. But it's going to stretch you. But you'll like who you become. Yeah. You'll like who you become. You're going to look back to this series, March 5th. What is, what is today? 5th, March 5th. 2023 Come and See series changed everything for me and my family. Our family went on mission, and now we're a part of this movement in our county. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads. Father, we love you. And Lord, we know that we feel it. You're moving us into a season. And Father, with what we see going on in this world around us, with the revivals that are breaking out, Father God, the sense that this, our, our time on earth is short. And the last thing that we want to be when you come back is warming a bench. The last thing that we want to do, Father God, when you, when you return, when Jesus raptures the church, is to be sitting around doing our own thing and making absolutely no impact in the kingdom of God. Father, we want to be right smack dab in the middle of what you're doing. So Father, we pray, use us. Use us. Use our time. Use our talents. Use our treasure, Father. You said where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Use it, Father. We, we want to be used by you. Stretch us outside of our lane of comfortability, Father God. We are ready. We're good for it. We realize that there's going to be a little bit of stretching involved. But, Father, we will love who we become as a result of this. Lord, we're trusting you with this. We're trusting you for the grace. We're trusting you for the strength. We're trusting you for the ability. We're trusting you, Father God, that you bless back the time that we sow to you. Time with our family, time with our friends, time to do what we enjoy doing. Lord, you're good about that. You're good about that. Thank you for trusting us, God. Heads bowed, eyes are closed. If you're in the room and you've never accepted Jesus Christ in your heart, and today you'd like to, I want to pray with you. Before you leave, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you stand up or leave. The, the most I'm going to do is give you a free gift that will help you in your Christian walk. But I am going to pray with you. If you're in the room and you've never accepted Jesus or you once, you once did, but you walked away from him and you'd like to rededicate your life, I want to pray with you. But I just need to know who you are. So put your hand up and put it right back down so I know who I'm praying for all over this room. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you put your hands down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Anybody else? I see your hand. 
Anybody else? Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anybody else? This is what it's all about right here. People making decisions for Jesus Christ. But the Bible says if you believe in your heart, thanks, I see your hand. And confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. So I want everybody to pray this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price for my life, for the sin that I've committed. Right now, I ask you, forgive me. Forgive me of my past, any decision that I've made that has separated me from you. And right now, Jesus, come into my life. Make me a brand new person. I'm choosing today to spend the rest of my life in a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give them a hand clap today. Praise God. Praise God. You, if you raised your hands, made a decision, prayed that prayer with me, on, on these two easels in the back of the room, there's a connection card. If you'll just check the box, you can turn it in at the, uh, the uh, information desk, or you can stick it in the offering bucket back there. Just tell me how I can send you this information, and I'll send you some free stuff that will help you in your Christian, your Christian walk. Stand up with us. We're going to worship God with our giving today. Listen to this. I, I read last week, if you were with us last week for Vision Sunday, then you heard this scripture. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Just, it wasn't even 24 hours after last week's Vision Sunday, I received this email. Uh, my husband and I have been writing our vision list out for a couple of weeks, and then, of course, we had Vision Sunday yesterday, so this was Monday. Our list included, and then she named a few things that were in a custody-type situation. They're believing God to pay off some debt. And then she went on to say this, uh, we received our tax refund a couple of weeks ago, and it was bigger than we expected, so we were able to pay off two credit cards and significantly pay down another. Then yesterday, I got a text from a family member offering to pay off our student loans for $15,000. Come on, amen. Praise God. It just goes to show that you don't give up on those prayers and those vision list items because our God is so faithful. I can't wait to see what else is, uh, He accomplishes this year. We'll keep you posted. You do that. You do that. We want to know. Listen, God is a good God. Amen. Several ways to give. We'll put them up on the screen. Father, we thank you right now for every one of us that are sowing. Father, some of us sacrificially because we just believe in the mission and vision of your place, church, God. And Lord, we thank you that you're using this gift and you're, you're causing it to increase, not only in the church's hands, but in our hands also. Father, we love you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.